There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted, Twisted Philly. Philly. Hey Twisters, what up? Welcome back to a special and somewhat different bonus episode of Twisted Philly. As you may have guessed from the episode title, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Twisted Philly anymore. We aren't. Well, technically we are, or at least I am, but last weekend I was not. I was in upstate New York at the Snowtown Film Festival. It was a much-needed long weekend filled with creativity and making new friends in beautiful and freaking cold Watertown, New York. I went to the festival for a couple of reasons. I mentioned to you guys I had a short screenplay that was accepted for competition. It didn't win, and honestly, that didn't matter. I'd never done anything like that before, and it was so cool just to have a group of talented people like this even consider my work. I was also there because I wanted to see Viggo Mortensen's movie Captain Fantastic on the big screen. And not only did I get to see this beautiful, powerful, quirky film that makes you think and question your logic and your view of society as a parent and also just as a human being, but I was in the same room as Viggo Mortensen. Yes, I was. Uh, no, I did not get to meet him personally, but having him introduce the film, listening to what this film means to him, and sharing his experiences with a company of brilliant young actors was pure bliss. What we created here may be unique in all of human existence. All the way to the top! We created paradise. Ah! 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 What we're doing out here is so incredible. Kids are amazing. Give me smoke. Mom needs to be in the hospital right now. How's she doing? We're a family. This is your fault. Wesley had a disease. Wherever you are, stay there. You show up, I will have you arrested. We can't go to mommy's funeral. We have to do what we're told. We want to see mom. Grandpa can't impress us. Right now, this is your first real test. Remember your training. They have hot dogs. What's cola? Poison water. Well, I'm so happy that our family is together. It's all local and organic. How did you kill those chickens? With an axe or a knife? By... <laughs> They're rotisserie chicken, so you buy it, on, it's already dead. And then he hosted a Q&A at the end with 800 other flannel-clad fans and movie lovers. It was a moment for sure. And I have to give a what up to my daughter because when we got all these emails talking about a flannel red carpet event, I'm like, I don't even own flannel. Where am I going to get a flannel? I thought about not wearing one, and she looked at me and she said, you'll look like an idiot if you show up not wearing flannel. Um, and I have to say she was right. Not that the few folks who weren't wearing flannel looked like idiots, because they didn't. They looked lovely, but they definitely stood out. I was also super psyched to spend the weekend watching independent short films by unique, talented writers and directors, actors, you name it. Some people think the best talent is in Hollywood, and you'd be surprised at the breadth and depth of talent in your own neighborhood, even here in Philadelphia when I see local theater, or in this case last weekend, just a short plane ride to Watertown. 
One of the films in particular that caught my attention when I saw the lineup was Garrow. It's a short film, actually it's chapter one of what eventually will become a longer film, about Robert Garrow, a serial rapist and murderer from upstate New York. Now, granted, Robert Garrow isn't from Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania for that matter, but Twisted Philly was on the road, and there was no way I was passing up the opportunity to talk with the production company of Garrow if I could. So, like I always do, I started searching social media for the film, for the director, for anyone I could find, and send them an email telling them who I am, all about Twisted Philly, and asking if I could talk with them. And fuck me, every time I do that, people say yes. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Angus. Okay, you're probably asking who's Angus. Well, you'll find out in a few minutes. I hope he's listening, and in case he is, um, he's a younger listener, so I'll try to keep the F-bombs to a minimum. So I sent an email and I got a message back from Joel Plew, the producer. And after talking to the director, Joel says, sure, where are you? What time can you meet? We've got some time before the film later tonight. We're hanging out at the Garrow table at the festival. And I'm thinking, holy shit, this guy said yes. I spent close to probably an hour with Lori Kelly, who is the writer and director of Garrow. She is also the writer, director, and producer of the film Mineville about New York iron ore miners, very similar to Pennsylvania coal miners, and the writer of Silent But Deadly, a dark horror comedy. With Lori was the producer, Joel Plew, who is also an actor, a comedian, a writer. He partnered with Lori on the films I mentioned before, and Joel is Lori's son. Plus, I got to meet two cast members, Angus Andrews, who I just mentioned by accident. Angus portrays young Robert Garrow, and Richard Waddingham is Garrow's father. Richard has worked with Laurie and Joel for years on other projects, and if you watch Gotham, you may have caught Richard on an episode this season. He was actually on the episode New Day Rising. Okay, so a little background about Robert Garrow. This is a story I knew, although certainly not with the level of detail or connection that you'll hear from Lori. Robert Garrow was born in the mid-30s in upstate New York near Mineville, where Lori is from. Calling his childhood difficult is like the understatement of the century. If you remember episode four of Twisted Philly about Joseph Callinger, the twisted old man who lived in the shoe, yeah, his childhood was like something out of a Disney cartoon compared to Robert Garrow. Garrow and his siblings suffered significant verbal and physical abuse at the hands of both parents. His mother was described by one of his older sisters as an extremely cruel person. She was violent and lacking all empathy. And as if the mother wasn't bad enough, Garrow's father, Robert Sr., was an abusive monster. Most of Robert Garrow's early years were a cycle of labor at a neighboring farm, heavy chores, and beatings. It was like wash, rinse, and repeat. He was isolated. You'll hear Lori Kelly talk about his isolation in our interview. And it was this isolation that led him to seek out physical contact in very disconcerting ways. Um, I'm struggling with my words a bit here because as young as 10, Garrow was having intimate contact with animals around the farm. Like, I just can't even. It's like this child was so starved for affection of any kind that he would seek it out in the most unpleasant and unacceptable places. Okay, fast forward almost 40 years and Robert Garrow was the source of what was at the time the longest manhunt in New York State history. He was a rapist and a murderer. He was a mastermind of deception, almost like he was leading a double life for a while, hiding his depraved need to hurt others from his family. 
But why listen to me tell this tale when we can listen to an amazing group of creative people who know infinitely more about the story than I do? So even though this story doesn't come from Philly, it was an unbelievable experience for me as a Philadelphian to go to a town where I'd never been before and be welcomed by complete strangers, especially the folks attached to Garrow. And they're just cool as shit. Angus told me while we were chatting in the lobby that this is... Don't believe anything, Angus. Oh, no? We don't even know him. He just bought the shirt and decided to tag along. Bring the camera. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like Todd from Breaking Bad, a younger Todd, yeah. doesn't he? Dang, yes, he does. Right? Yeah. Does it? Oh, my goodness, yeah. as soon as you said that. Isn't, that's that's why we were like, we got to hire him because he looks like creepy yeah. Todd from Breaking Bad. You know, you said that to me on set, and Look I still at him. haven't I mean, seen Breaking Bad. Right. Well, you got to, just, just for Todd, because you're like... <laughs> I'm going to be here at 6 tonight or gone? No, I'm going to be here tonight. Oh, of course, I'm staying for Garrow. I'm Excellent. really interested in seeing that. Um, okay, sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 this is, this is just a, a conversation, but I am blessed to be sitting here with Lori Kelly, who is the writer, director, and producer. Sometimes I clean the toilet and yeah. the craft services also. And change the batteries in the yeah. camera packs. For the short independent film, Garrow, with us is Joel, and Joel, I don't know your last name. Clue. I'm a horrible host. Yes. Okay, quick break in the action. Um, Yes, you did just hear me tell Joel, the producer of the movie, I didn't know his last name. I suck. In my defense, when we were emailing, he was messaging me from the Garrow Facebook account. So his messages came through just as Garrow. He said, my name is Joel, not Joel Plu, but yeah, I felt like a dick. It's not a good name to memorize anyway. It's a lame Plu. last name. Plu. <laughs> it means a beaver tanner in French-Canadian. Like, what kind of last name is that? Interesting. I blame my mom for it. And I have Richard, who is playing the creepy father of Robert Garrow. I guess creepy is maybe the lighter way we could say it. Oh, yes. The, the authoritarian. Uh, sort of. Authoritarian. Authoritarian, abusive, and alcoholic. We've got an, alliter- an alliteration going on here about this man. And we have Angus Andrew. This is your first film, you told me when we were hanging out in the lobby. Yep. But not your first time performing. No. So you've done some commercials, you've done some community theater. Mm-hmm. Angus is also filming us. So everybody plays multiple parts yes. in the company. I think you can tell when I sat down with Lori, Joel, Richard, and Angus, Angus who, by the way, had taken a keen interest in the audio software and microphone I was using, but I instantly clicked with them and felt like I was immediately among friends. And I'd done a little research in the 30 minutes I had before rushing to another short film I wanted to see and meeting with the company of Garrow. I knew Lori made other films, and I was curious about her jump from a more personal historical piece to a movie about a director arranged serial killer. I know that you did a film before this, Mineville. Yes, that was the first. It seems like that's a big transition from a film about the history of the iron ore miners, iron ore miners yes. which is very similar to our history in Pennsylvania with coal miners. Yes, very much so. We actually um, went to Lackawanna. Yeah. You did. You went to Lackawanna. Yeah. Some of our scenes were done there okay. in the interiors. So it's a big jump moving from a film like that about the history of the people on whose backs the state and the country were founded to a movie about a really deranged serial killer. So how do you make that jump? Well, 
Interestingly, being from Mineville, both of those things happened there. Robert Garrow was my neighbor, not mine personally. My grandmother and my father lived next door to Robert. They grew up together. They went to school when Robert went to school. So there was, um, you know, we played there in the yard. There was a lot of firsthand knowledge of their family, the abuse. So oh my this goodness. isn't coming from history books. This is the personal stories from those of us who lived there. My um, One of my uncles was on the team that captured and killed Robert in the end. He personally didn't, but he was on the search team. So anyway, a lot of information. Mineville, again, my dad was one of the last iron ore miners. His dad, his grandfather. Richard played the main character in Mineville. That's how far back we yeah. went. It's the first time we met. So that's how you make that jump. Lori Kelly's grandparents lived next door to the Garrow family. Her father went to school with Robert. And the comment Lori made about when Robert went to school really struck me because she's referring to periods of time where Robert was unable to attend school likely because of the beatings he suffered at the hands of his parents. It was incredible to me that Lori's family had a personal connection to both of these stories. Mineville, a film that focuses on early immigrant iron ore miners in New York, and Robert Garrow's story. By the time Robert Garrow was 15, he was in reform school because he punched his father in the face. Good for him! I didn't find any record of his father doing time for repeatedly beating his children, but hey, it was the early 50s and domestic abuse really wasn't considered abuse back then, which was also the issue with Joseph Callinger's childhood in Philadelphia. After about a year in reform school, Garrow was released, and then he joined the Air Force. Although he spent about two years in the military, the majority of that time was spent in military prisons. He managed to maintain some semblance of self-control for like six months, and then he got arrested for stealing money from a sergeant. If you're going to steal money when you're in the Air Force or any other branch of the armed services, I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway, but if you've got your heart set on theft, I don't know, maybe you steal from a fellow private or something, but no, he stole from a sergeant. Garrow was sent to a military prison for this, where he was stationed in Florida. He escaped and was caught soon after, and this time, they weren't taking any chances. They sent him to a stockade in Georgia. Robert Garrow was released from prison in Georgia in 1957. He cut his losses with the military and moved back home to upstate New York. Got married, settled down not too far from Watertown, where I met Lori and Joel and Richard and Angus where we sat around a hotel lounge outside the hotel bar with my microphone in the center of the coffee table and me not realizing it's such a great mic it was picking up all of the background noise from the bar. But there was a gas fireplace keeping us warm against the snow and sleet outside. He's a pretty slippery character. I mean, the number of times he tried to evade capture, dodged Incredibly his bail. Wicked smart, yeah. Very, very smart man. Obviously a criminal, and I, I mean, I can't diagnose him, but he seems sociopathic to me if you look at his history. He started very young, I mean, pre-teen was already torturing animals, torturing other children in the neighborhood, and he was abused severely. I've actually gotten to know some of his direct family members, some who are very kind and very open, and uh, personally later I can share some of that stuff with you off. Yeah, of course, here, of course. And others who would like me to be dead because I brought some of their story to light. However, they don't know what we show. We're very empathetic to the character, I think, of uh, young Robert. Um, so for family members watching right. this, I think they would empathize with what he went through prior to becoming a really hardened criminal. And that's something that I like about our part of the story, yep. is that it shows that monsters are created. Right. They don't just 
pop out of like it's, it's, nowhere, it's you know, fully, uh, fully blossom. No, I don't know. think anybody's born that way. Yeah. Right. Monsters are created from monsters. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's showing monsters. a generational thing, which yeah. is uh, very true. That was Angus, who plays young Robert Garrow, who said monsters are created from monsters. Listening to Lori talk about members of Robert Garrow's family, some whom appreciate what she's trying to do by bringing his story to the screen, giving a voice not only to his victims, but to him, or at least the version of him that was also a victim. The little boy Garrow, who was mercilessly abused at the hands of people who were supposed to love and care for him. And as you just heard, we talked a bit about monsters. How are they formed? Are they formed in the womb? Is it genetics? Is it nature versus nurture or a combination thereof? I know many times I see posts on social media groups of true crime followers, and people have conversations about these topics. How does a monster become a monster? Many people who suffer from abuse find a way to survive it, seemingly unscathed, although we know scars run deep. Sometimes the scars you can't see run even deeper than those on the surface. But what was it about Robert Garrow? Was it a combination of bad genes and the abuse? I don't know. From what I read about him, so he was in a Florida prison for crimes committed while he was in the military, tried to escape, got stuck in the stockade, then was arrested and incarcerated for... Crimes against two young, two young little girls. Right. Um, and then got out and jumped right back into it again. And yet his family loved him. His two children loved him. Some of his nieces and nephews that I've talked to, they said they had no... It's, it's hard for them. They accept it now because they know the facts, but it was yeah. very hard for them because he was like the wonderful uncle. So model, fun, model, out camping. dad, and yeah. businessman, neighbor, everything. So like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like he would be camping. This is actually... I don't mind telling you because... It will, will eventually be shown, but in Act 2, there's a scene where you have four young neighborhood children and they're building a fort in the woods. This actually happened just over the hill. They don't know it. For three days, he was there watching them, and that's when he held Sue Pets in that mine shaft, raping her all of those days. This oh is all God, going on terrifying. just a distance of, from us out there in mm-hmm. the woods where little children are playing. And then he helps them build the fort. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it's so twisted. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Excuse my language. But that would, was, uh, that was... No, you can say whatever you want. Oh, you cut it out. It's fine. I, I curse okay. occasionally on my show, so I can cut that out. He's the type that would walk up to somebody and be like, Hi, excuse me, can you help me? You know, my car just broke down. You know, uh, well, I need oh, some gas. Uh, you know, oh, our kids are about the same age. Oh, you know, get the person's trust. Like, yeah. He didn't, he didn't come up to you like a serial killer <laughs> or some deranged person. You know, I mean, he was a friendly guy, and then you're in the woods with him helping him, you know, fix his car and... I hadn't yet seen the movie when I sat down with them. It was premiering at 6 p.m. that night. But listening to Lori and Richard, now remember, Richard is the actor playing Garrow's father, and looking at this charming young man, Angus, who's sitting between me and Richard, knowing that he was playing young Robert, and hearing them talk about empathy and kindness that they used in the movie about Robert's childhood, I started wondering how it must have been for these two actors to play these incredibly difficult, challenging roles opposite one another. So, Richard, how was it for you and Angus playing opposite each other in, in these particular roles? Never met before. I was called to set. We only had, actually, no, you were I like, landed and, and said, I got a text, like, We've switched things around. We need you on now. set now. I thought I would stay a, a day early to settle in, meet people. So Angus and I had our first scene before, before we had 
even said hello, really. Yeah. But luckily, um, that one was, we were across the table from each other, and there was no um, physical. real physical interaction. And of course, uh, I read the script and knew what would be transpiring, but then we were able to have campfires and hang around, and I think we mm -hmm. uh, developed a, a friendship and a trust between each other, and we're able to be very light on, on set, so that when we had to go to those dark times, even though it might have seemed frightening, and uh, you looked very believable in it. There was an element of trust already developed. I felt. Uh, how about you, Angus? Did you feel you felt safe yeah. at all times, right? Yeah, I think and, you're once uh, you're once seen. Sorry, interrupt. You're once seen is so believable that when we showed a rough cut, just because, and I sat in the back of the room because I just wanted to see a very rough cut, and and everyone in the room was like, I mean, everyone looked away. Wow. Your, wow. Mother, your mother started like shedding tears and shaking. I mean, it was it's that. And that's the impact you want that's on an audience. Show, that's the acting. That's on them. They, they really right. It, it does look very brutal, and I don't think that my character Neither has, you characters. know, necessarily any redeeming qualities. I'm not an empathetic character no. in no. in the least. No. But um, sometimes when you cast people to play these dark characters, sometimes they can be a little dark in their real life. I don't know if you've had that, yeah. that experience say, or not. Oh, that's it. And you're like, that's oh, it. I don't want to spend, you know, a week in the, you know, yeah. stuck with this guy. So it, it's it, it's fun to be able to play those roles and then not... And then take it off and, and then, hang it up. Like, yes. Yeah. It, 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 I, I, oh, because in between takes, I, these two would be like, hey, hey you have a marshmallow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, uh, I don't live in, the, in those type of roles. Okay, so we'd been chatting for a while, and during most of that time, Angus, the young actor who plays Robert Garrow as a child, he'd been pretty quiet. I think Angus was just taking it all in and kind of listening to everything that each of us was saying. And he was filming our discussion, but gradually throughout that conversation, he'd got the camera set up on its own. He sat down on the very edge of the couch where I was sitting, and then he inched a little closer. He was eyeing up my computer. Again, he was eyeing up the audio engineering. And like me, I know some of you were old theater kids. We loved all of it too, didn't we? Like not just the performing, but the magic behind the scenes. So how did young Angus wind up here with this amazing company on this powerful film? Well, from what Lori told me, he was the last kid to audition. Isn't that always the way? You think you've seen the best of the best, and then somebody walks in the door that surprises you. Certainly for those of us from theater, I mean, we get that reference, but I think that that happens a lot more often in life than just in theater and movies. But Angus was the last kid to audition. The team had finished auditions. It was the end of the day. They'd already returned to their hotel. And Lori got a call from Angus' mom saying, hey, I'm sorry we're late. Can we still come to the audition? And they were like, yeah, sure, why not? It's a good thing they said yes, because this young man is a beautiful actor. The scenes between him and Richard as father and son are, they're terrifying. I'm not surprised Angus' mom cried when she saw the rough cut Lori mentioned because when I saw the film later that night, the hair on my arms stood on end watching these two, and I started crying. And Richard, you know, if I hadn't met him earlier that day, and I mean, I didn't just meet this man, like I sat within three feet from him for a good hour talking with him, I would not have recognized him when I saw him on screen. The character transformed him. 
And not with makeup or special effects, but it was simply like becoming Robert Garrow's father was a transformative experience. And he wasn't kidding when he talked about taking off that role because he is a delightful, interesting human being with so much concern for his co-star. And I can't say enough about all of them. Like Laurie, Joel, Richard, that came through so much from all of them. Like just the concern that they have for doing this project with care and compassion and showing that compassion to one another as a company. Okay, so let's catch up a little bit with Robert Garrow. So by now, it's 1961. Garrow is about 25 years old. And it's at this point that he commits his first rape, or at least what I'm going to say is the first rape for which he's convicted. Because honestly, with the research that I did independently since seeing the film, I found it a little surprising that this was the first time he was convicted for a crime like this. So he gets sentenced to between 10 to 20 years in prison. He only serves eight, no surprise. When he gets released, he spends a few quiet years as a family man in upstate New York, but he cannot control his depraved impulses for long. He very quickly returns to what he knows, pain and brutality. In 1972, Robert Garrow was arrested on charges of unlawful imprisonment for holding two young women against their will, but he was released because they refused to press charges. That sort of thing happens still today. Young women feel intimidated by their attacker, and they're afraid to bring him to justice. About a year after that, Garrow sexually assaulted two little girls in a town northwest of Syracuse called Gettys. Now, you'd think with his past, he'd be denied bail, but that wasn't the case. Garrow was released on bail, and he skipped, officially becoming a fugitive. That summer, in July 1973, maybe about 50 or 60 miles as the crow flies, Robert Garrow was driving through the Adirondack Mountains. And that's an area of New York State that resembles our very own Allegheny or Blue Ridge Mountains, but I think even a little bit more beautiful. Yes, Twisters, I just said that part of another state may be even a little bit nicer than parts of Pennsylvania. One afternoon, while he's driving through the mountains, he comes upon four friends camping in the woods along the highway. It was a young couple with two other male friends. He pulls a gun on them, marches them into the woods, and forced them to tie each other up. While he was murdering one of the young men, the other two managed to free themselves, and they escaped. They ran for help, but by the time they returned, their friend was already dead, and Garrow was gone. Earlier in this episode, you heard me talk about Lori Kelly and Joel Plue working together on other productions. They've been working together for quite a long time, 29 years to be exact, because as I mentioned, Lori and Joel are related. They are a mother and son filmmaking duo. So Lori and Joel, let me ask you, one of the other things I read is, you know, I've seen you referred to as the mother-son duo. I think if my mother and I tried to do anything for an extended period of time, we would drive each other out of our minds. So... How did you start? How did you partner to do well, the films you've done? We've been doing it since you were eight. I was eight, nine years old. It's uh, try to condense the story. Uh, well, I don't know how to tell the story well, shortly. I, I mean, but, uh, on, okay. Really I went to, uh, we moved to Pleasantville, New York. So we're, we're country bumpkins. Went to Pleasantville, New York, down to the city, totally out of our realm. But I said, I'm trying to learn how to write. Didn't know how to write. So I'm trying to find my way in. I went to audit a writing class. Was this a Jacob Burns? No, the American Comedy Institute. American Comedy Institute. Because oh, okay. I was always writing jokes. We're, we're natural comedians. That's oddly enough. Um, and I took him with me, and he was uh, 
eight, maybe nine at the most, very tiny and, and a sick child at the time. But anyway, so he's with me in the background, but he just starts doing what Joel does. And by the end of the um, hour that we were with the director there, he says, no, I just want to talk to you for a minute. And he says, um, yeah, I, I would like to um, see him in my office. Two weeks later, he was doing the first time, first child to do an adult comedy act at Caroline's Comedy Club. And that's, Whoa. that's where we started. And uh, for three years, I did stand-up comedy. Between, yeah, nine and then to, you did your first indie 13. film back then. Yep, yeah, and did an indie film called Bug. We toured. All over toward with Comic Relief 8. Uh, that's where I got to meet oh Rob Williams oh, yeah, and all these people. Yeah, and yeah. Dave Chappelle they and everybody all kind of was just there. Took him yeah, they just, wings. you know, so that's that's the world I grew up in. And then uh, I said, I just kind of want to be a normal kid for a little while, which is a huge mistake because no, you can't no. be normal after that. <laughs> then we moved up uh, to Oneonta because after, after 9 11, uh, everybody flooded to Westchester, became overpopulated. Yeah. It's already expensive there as it is, and it was way too costly to live. So we went up to Oneana and then got into writing. We both just started writing scripts. I think we had done the first Mindville in Pleasantville. Though, we did right? the first, that was our, the very first. We one were was, still living. Yeah. There. We were still working on that. So we yeah. had already started to. Yeah. Um, I think we kicked out two scripts yeah. there. But Silent but Deadly was the one that we did. Uh, we wrote it as Ooh, what a joke. Is that? Silent oh, but Deadly. Yeah, it's got God, I love him so much. Oh, I'm so jealous. Like, yeah. I don't even know what to say right he's now. Crazy. He's He's insane. And I'll tell you, because he talks about us on podcasts, so I'll tell you straight up. Okay, um, yeah, you heard that right. They know Jason Muse. Oh, my God. Yeah, I lost my shit a little bit. It was kind of embarrassing, but they seem to be okay with it. So they wrote a movie called Silent But Deadly, and of course you guys heard me when Joel mentioned the title of that. I was all like, ooh, what's that? Screw diamonds. Give me horror every day of the week. It's a horror black comedy, and Joel was kind enough to send me the link to the movie. Oh my god, you have to watch it. It is fucking crazy good. Lori and Joel were so sweet. They were sharing stories with me about Jason Mewes and their work with him on Silent But Deadly. Okay, back to the interview where I make a fool out of myself talking about how much I adore Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith, plus Lori, Joel, and Richard talk about how much they love making movies in the Adirondacks. Met Jason and Bill Savage, we kind of developed a friendship ahead of time. Bill had been with us on, on my mind, Bill. Yes. So um, Bill's an we go stuff. to do Silent But Deadly, which we wrote. It's kind of a sick horror comedy. We go up to Canada, Jason Mewes. He is exactly what you think. So this is day three or four filming, and it's the biggest day where the producer decides he's going to invite in all the press. Right. The investors, everybody. Jason Mewes comes out of the, I'm going to laugh my ass up, comes out of the bottom of the house, right where the set is being filmed. He comes out and he's kind of not really dressed. He goes, suck my dick. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he, he did. did. He did. And, and my, my asshole. asshole. That's what I he just, said. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody goes and everybody stops <laughs> and, uh, oh God, and he went back inside and then he just goes back inside Yeah, there's this one scene where Bill Sadler was uh, pitched up to a barn with a pitchfork like Jason Mewes you have to wait. It's, it's on the internet you can yeah. I'm gonna, oh yeah, I gotta find it but deadly. it's on Amazon it's okay. on everything um, but you have to type in silent but deadly Jason Mewes okay. um, but anyway so Jason's character just impales Bill Sadler in the neck with a pitchfork there was fake blood on him, and I, Bill must have stood up there for like seven hours. I mean, just an absurd amount of time in this sticky, syrupy shit, and he's getting pissed off. It's hot out, and uh, Jason kept ruining the take. He'd be like, he looks like a tampon. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, he's, just, he's just, crazy. 
Um, yeah, he is Jay. I mean, that's just honestly who he is. I'm so jealous right now. So I, I my friends tease me and say I worship at the altar of Kevin Smith. I just they're very I don't talented. Know. They're very. That's the the wonderful thing too about um, oh, being up in that area. They have so many deep connections uh, with the the yeah. neighborhood and the the town that we get access to Absolutely. some sites and to people bring Props. their vintage cars and people are willing to bend over backwards to be part of the film and to open up their properties and oh, to build fantastic. props and to stand and hold cars uh, in the road. You know, of course without. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's complete, not complete, uh, not always, but a lot of it is guerrilla filmmaking yeah. because uh, yeah. places, up here you don't necessarily have to have tons of permits. No permits or, up there. Uh, in fact, I think the first time we asked You have somebody standing one. in the road and stopping traffic. Yeah. And the police actually went by and they're like, okay, well. No, they uh, usually end up being in the movie. Because yeah. yeah. we know them all. So it's yeah. like, oh, cop car. Hey, we need a cop car today. Oh, hey, we need uh, the governor. We need your courthouse. It's like unheard of anywhere else. That's outstanding. That's mostly why we go up there to film. And uh, one of the key points that, you know, we always make is that the production value up there There's no better place is to film. astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Scenic because of the Adirondacks. Yeah. And because of how user-friendly the area is. After watching Garrow, I can't say I blame them. The cinematography is breathtaking because the towns and the forests are stunning, and the properties to which they have access are simply perfection, like something you'd see in a movie. And, okay, that's weird because you actually are seeing it in a movie because they just have access to it. Joel and Lori frequently referred to their 20-minute film as Act One, which, of course, growing up in theater made me think of stage plays. And, okay, I cannot believe they made Garrow for $4,000. That's it. This film is haunting and disturbing and yet so beautiful because of where it's filmed and the talent is fantastic. I'm serious, the acting, the editing, the score, even the opening credits warrant attention and an audience. So I had to understand what their thoughts were for the rest of the film. Garrow portrays the life of young Robert Garrow as a child. With so much care and empathy, it's painful when you think about what this child endured and how it must have broken him. Yet there is so much more to Garrow's story behind his childhood. So much more depravity and horrific crimes. And at some point, Joel and Lori will be telling that story too. So, and you mentioned Act One. So I read um, that... This is almost a movie in three acts, although you were thinking of using this as a preview and then maybe trying to film everything together. Both, yeah. We, we had both intentions. I'll, I'll let Joel talk a little more about the, the grace technique, as he calls it, but we, we tried to do this um, act one so that we could present it at places like this and it would have a beginning, middle, and end, so to speak. You know, it's always better to start. But the grace technique... Would yeah, be- so that's not actually a term in the industry. The grace technique is just something that kind of came up with, but... Uh, you're probably familiar with the movie Grace. It's a the horror movie. film came out in 2009. Oh, yes, yes. It's got the uh, bottle with blood on it and baby vampire. Anyway, so I was watching the behind the scenes of that movie. The guy shot Act One kind of as, you know, a promo to the movie because he couldn't raise the money to do the full feature. Mm-hmm. Shoots Act One, goes out to, I think it was Sundance. It's like a big festival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's out there on the streets handing out flyers like, come see this movie, like, come on, get in here. And he's trying to get anyone to invest in the movie and I mean just keeps falling on his face over and over and over again to try to raise money for this movie got enough to make act two (laughs) and but what he did was really smart if you watch Grace you'll see every you know 30 minutes then 40 minutes it kind of has a conclusion 
You go like, oh, that's weird. The, the story seems like it has a conclusion, but it's a feature length. And it yeah, keeps going. Yeah, it's almost going. like three one-act plays. Yeah. Yes. And it, it blends together. So we were tooling around about, okay, how do we raise money for a movie, you know, because it's harder and harder, you know, every year to raise money for a movie. I was like, well, we could kind of do a grace technique. And then I just kind of adapted that technique, the grace technique. But it's not it's not something that's... It should become a term. It should, it should be. be. I mean, they pulled it off and it's... So now uh, that we want to do um, Act 2 or end 2 and 3 and finish it up, you want to plug in there, GoFundMe, uh, yeah. Garrow? Well, I was going to ask you, so where are you raising money for this? GoFundMe, Garrow, right now. Okay, so that'll be on the show. It'll be on my Twitter page. It'll be on my Facebook, Philly Facebook yeah. pages. We'll plug the shit out of this. I'll add you on Facebook, too. Just, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not a crazy stalker or anything. <laughs> oh, I am. Says, 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 yeah, normally says stalker. the normal crazy yeah. stalkers. We're crazy yeah. stalkers. Well, I know you guys yeah. have a premiere tonight, and you've yeah. got lunch you've got to get, so I want to thank you all so much thank for spending time with me. For, uh, I really appreciate it. Should we all do a shout-out on the podcast? Shout-out? The True Crime? It's called Twisted Philly. Twisted Philly? Yeah. Twisted Philly. Twisted Philly. Twisted Philly. She get a picture. She get a still picture. Twisted oh, yeah. Philly, and this is going to be, the title of this episode is going to be Toto, I get a feeling we're not in Twisted Philly anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> so we got to do the group photo. Can you get in it once you... I can. Oh, thank you. Let me, I'll dig mine out. Joel, you can come over here by my Okay, so does it sound stalkerish when you say you're not a crazy stalker? But they said the same thing back to me. So if it does sound stalkerish, then we were all crazy stalkers. And what happened to Robert Garrow after he murdered the young camper in the woods and led the New York police on a manhunt for almost two weeks? A manhunt which Lori Kelly's uncle was a part of. Like, that is crazy. As Lori told us fairly early on in this episode, Robert Garrow was eventually captured and killed. But there is so much more to his story, and to Lori's story, and Joel's, and Richard's story, and Angus, and the rest of the cast and crew of Garrow. Now, I know how much you love true crime. True crime podcasts, documentaries, movies based on true crime stories... And you know I'm not true crime all the time. This was a little mix of true crime and cinema and travel. And yeah, we went a little further than we've ever gone before. We weren't on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. We were on a plane. And so for once, the trip actually cost more than it cost to get across the damn state of Pennsylvania. I am a big supporter of independent film, of independent projects of any kind. Twisted Philly is an independent podcast. I don't have a co-host. I'm not part of a podcast network. I'm not having sponsors fed to me. I'm doing this all on my own, like Lori and Joel are with the movies that they make, like Garrow and the Philadelphia Fringe Festival and friends of mine with their own production companies here in Philadelphia, including Fontaine Vision and Invictus Films. I love indie film festivals, not just the ones here in Philadelphia, but I kind of fell in love with the Snowtown Film Festival. I fell in love with Watertown and upstate New York. I hadn't been there in ages, and it was beautiful. I drove out to Lake Ontario to snap some pictures, and when I got out of the car, the wind damn near blew me over. It was like Chuck Griswold when, in the first movie, they get out to look at the Grand Canyon, and he's like, yep, yep, back in the car. That was me because of the wind. And this was an unbelievable experience. Everyone, everywhere, every single person I met from the moment I arrived Friday afternoon till Sunday morning when I flew home out of Syracuse airport was awesome. They were warm and welcoming and open, and I plan on going back next year. And my hope next year is that I get to see Chapter 2 of Garrow. 
one thing that we can all do to make sure that happens is to check out their GoFundMe page. This is a company of independent filmmakers, and if you could see what they did with a budget of $4,000, you would be blown away like I was. You can find out more about Garrow on their Facebook page, Garrow Film, all one word. There are amazing pictures from the Snowtown Film Festival, and I'll be linking their Facebook page, their GoFundMe page, and the trailer for Garrow on my Twisted Philly Facebook and Twitter pages. I want to give huge Twisted Philly what-ups to Lori, Joel, Richard, and Angus for giving me so much of their time and for sharing a piece of their film and themselves with me, and especially Joel, because again, here I am, strange random chick, sending an email saying, hey, will you talk to me? And he said yes. And that's sort of how we landed here, where we're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in Twisted Philly either. Thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode. And as always, thank you to singer-songwriter Emmy Sarah for the music we heard today. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.